This is Derek Bros. Derek Bros. This is Derek Bros. of the Conscious Resistance. I'm here in Standing Rock. That man is wanted in five different countries: Chile, Argentina, Brazil. We've been fighting a long time. We've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. Don't you fucking tease that horse! You are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. Above all, stay alive. You have no idea how important you are. Hey everyone, this is Derek Bros with the Conscious Resistance Network. Welcome to my broadcast as we close out the fluoride lawsuit. And I just want to say thank you right off the bat to everybody who has been supporting my work the last few days. Uh, you might have, or the last two weeks really, you might have seen me all over the place. Particularly today was a really good day for my work. I'm going to talk about that, all of the channels you might have seen me around right now. First off, just want to mention we are live on Instagram. Shout out to everybody on Instagram who's been following me over there and everybody who's you know just following the work we're live on rockfin we're live on youtube facebook twitter and i think that's it for now so thank you everybody who is tuned in and everybody who has been supporting my efforts as i mentioned i've been kind of all over the place today it's been a busy day i haven't even ate dinner yet and it's almost 8 30 so i'm going to try to keep this video under 20 minutes and I encourage you to go read my articles if you want to get the deeper dives uh, but today, this video is going to be focused on what literally just happened. If you've been following my reporting the last couple of weeks, I was in San Francisco. I just got home a couple of days ago. Today was the final hearing in the fluoride lawsuit where the EPA and the Fluoride Action Network both presented their closing arguments and Judge Chen asked a lot of questions. Now, from here, the judge will review all the data, the witness testimony, the studies that have been presented, all the various exhibits, and will reach his own conclusions, at which time we should probably hear what that conclusion is, I would estimate a couple of weeks to a month is what it seems like. So that's the absolute latest. So if you, that's all you got time for, you're in a hurry, then that's what you need to know. The fluoride trial has come to an end. It is now in the hands of uh, Judge Edward Chin. And from here on out, you know, I will continue to follow what happens there. But if you got some more time, stick with me, guys, because we're going to go deep. First, I want to remind you guys to check out my website, theconsciousresistance.com. You might notice when you go there, there's a pop-up right there. If you're not signed up on my email list, please do sign up there. No matter what social media platform you're following me on right now, if you're not following my email list, you're going to miss some of my work because I put some things out on Twitter because it works, some things out on Instagram. But honestly, Instagram, I put the least stuff out because I'm a writer and Instagram's mainly pictures and videos. And so not all my content gets there, for example. So if you want to get caught up, subscribe to our email list at theconsciousresistance.com. And again, this is the website I've hosted for going on 11 years now. For the last two weeks, it's been pretty all fluoride. You can see the different interviews I've done with um, the plaintiffs, the expert witnesses, and the scientists, and Michael Kahn, the lead attorney. You can also scroll down, guys, and you'll see these various categories. Let me zoom in for you. These are all, not all of them, there's a lot more, but these are some of the categories of topics that I've covered over the years the Pyramid of Power, Technocracy, The Finders Cult, Jeffrey Epstein, Surveillance, COVID-19, 5G, Anarchism, Agorism, Motivational Stuff, Walk and Talks, Weather Modification. You go down here and you see Vaccines, you see Water Fluoridation. When you click on that page, it'll open you up to this page, which is literally everything that I've produced for the Conscious Resistance since 2013. Uh, I was doing some work before then, but these are all the interviews I've done uh, since that time, including the fluoride trial, the fluoride lawsuit, following it since the beginning and reporting on it in 2020 and reporting on it again here. So if you want to see the various experts that have shared some just groundbreaking information with me, if you didn't see my previous reports on week one, you're going to want to go back and watch these. 
But so stay tuned there. And then also, for those who don't know, I write for thelastamericanvagabond.com, thelastamericanvagabond.com. And when you go to the T-Lab website, you can see there's T-Lab team right there on the menu. You can scroll down to my name, Derek Bros, and it has a list of some of my different investigations. You'll see the bottom one says fluoride trial. Click that, and then it brings you to this page. And here's everything that I've written on the fluoride lawsuit, the fluoride trial, since 2020 when I first joined uh, T-Lab. So there's, let's see, four pages worth of interviews and articles and all kinds of documentation of everything that's happened over the last four years. And today we're going to focus on my very latest article that just came out. The fluoride lawsuit comes to an end, federal judge to decide the future of water fluoridation. And I'm going to just summarize for you a little bit about what uh, was discussed today and, and sort of what the, the final talking points were. And then also, I want to cover this, which I was just sent by my friend, Brenda, who is part of the lawsuit. Apparently, factcheck.org just released a brand new, fresh out the garbage bin fact check uh, about water fluoridation because RFK has been posting about the lawsuit and posting about some of the problems with fluoride. And so I'm excited to get into that. I haven't even looked at it yet, but we're going to get into that in just a second. But let's go ahead and dive into this article. Again, this is at thelastamericanvagabond.com. So as always, I encourage you to read my articles. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to give you the bits and pieces that you need to know, and hopefully you'll make the effort to go read my article that I made the effort to go write. So throughout the proceedings of the final day today, Michael Conant, who's the lead attorney for the Fluoride Action Network, he argued that despite the uncertainty surrounding the exact concentration at which fluoride causes harm, the evidence that the plaintiffs presented over the last couple of weeks makes it clear that fluoride is a neurotoxin. And Michael Conant encouraged uh, Judge Edward Chin not to let the, quote, perfect be the enemy of the good. You guys have heard that phrase. He said, quote, we do not need for every piece of the puzzle to fit before we take steps to prevent harm. We need to take action when we have evidence of risk, and we have that here. Uh, so that was sort of a lot of the back and forth was around that. You had Brandon Atkins, who's the DOJ attorney representing the EPA. His job has been the whole time, and I would argue that the EPA in general, their attorneys, their job has been to uh, basically just say that it's too inconclusive. We don't have strong enough data at this time, so the judge should not rule in the favor of the plaintiffs because we just need more science, more data, keep kicking the can down the road, don't do anything about this toxin that's harming babies and pregnant mothers and all kinds of people, at-risk people. Instead, let's just keep calling for more studies. And to be honest, as I've hopefully proven to you guys over the last few weeks, if you didn't already know, we've got more than enough data to prove that fluoride is harmful and specifically that it is a neurotoxin. So the idea that we just need to wait around for more studies is just ridiculous. But that's what the EPA has been trying to do is just saying it's, it, it's inconclusive. And I'm going to get to some quotes here. Brandon Atkins, he told the judge repeatedly that his court would be an outlier if he ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, basically saying, like, you're going to be going against all of the established science. He said uh, that the expert witnesses, Dr. Stanley Barone and Dr. David Savitz, which were the EPA's witnesses, proved that the evidence of fluoride's neurotoxicity is not clear enough to rule against the EPA. Uh, Brandon Atkins stated that for the plaintiffs to prevail, they must prove that fluoride is a neurotoxin at 0.7 milligrams per liter, and the EPA does not believe that they have done so, that they met this burden of proof. Uh, Atkins also noted that if the court rules in favor of the plaintiffs, the judge would have to select a point of departure. And this, this is basically, as I mentioned, there's all this discussion around where exactly is the harm beginning with fluoride? We've got these studies that are showing above two uh, milligrams per liter 
uh, four parts per million, there's harm. We can't point exactly where it's at, but we know it's up there. It's somewhere higher. And the EPA would like the judge and the public to believe that it's only at those higher levels, not anywhere near the 0.7 milligrams per liter that the CDC recommends, that there exists harm. And so they're basically saying that the plaintiffs haven't done so, that they because they can't pinpoint a point of departure at which the harm begins, then there's basically no way for the EPA to even complete this risk assessment. He was basically kind of throwing his hands up and saying, judge, if you rule this way, we don't even know what we're supposed to do. We're not, we don't have the proper information. He said, quote, the court would be in uncharted territory if it were to rely on a systematic review to do that here. He said, ruling against the EPA would, quote, not reflect the best available science. And I thought it was interesting, Judge Chen, as I've pointed out over my reporting the last couple of weeks, that he he does seem to be genuinely interested in trying to follow the science, the real actual science, and he's not just pro-government or even pro-Fluoride uh, Action Network. He's actually trying to ask questions and get to the bottom of it. So uh, Judge Chen then asked the EPA's attorney, he said, so what am I supposed to do with the fact that there is, and this is his words, unanimous agreement that fluoride is causing harm? He said, quote, even if it's hard to find the point where the lowest adverse effect is being observed, clearly there is an effect. And at one point, uh, the judge just straight up asked the government because they kept arguing that, like, again, there's no clarity. We can't figure this out. Uh, they said it's the plaintiff's duty to prove that fluoride presents an unreasonable risk under the condition of use, which specifically means water fluoridation. Um, at issue, community water fluoridation at 0.7 milligrams per liter, and they cannot do that, according to the EPA attorney. And at this point, uh, the judge said, we don't, you know, he, excuse me, so uh, Atkins told the judge, quote, we don't even know which way the data goes. And the judge responded, said, well, we can certainly tell there's a direction or a relationship between the higher concentration of water fluoridation levels. Honestly, I'll just pause here for a moment before I go into these next sections. I felt... I don't know how Brenda and any of the other plaintiffs or the, the team with the Fluoride Action Network felt about this, but I honestly felt more confident after today. I think based on the judge's questions and the way that he was approaching the situation that he clearly seemed to be leaning in favor of, at least as my perspective, of finding fluoride does cause harm and fluoride is a neurotoxin. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily guaranteed, of course. He did have some some tough questions for the Fluoride Action Network, and EPA attorney Brandon Atkins was bringing up some different points, saying that you know the they don't have claiming they don't have the proper data, and since the uh, plaintiffs can't specify the specific point of departure, that that basically leaves the EPA in a situation where they have inadequate data. I don't even know if that's true, but that's what they were arguing, and the judge seemed to hear that and kind of like okay. All right. And he's hearing him say, you're going to be an outlier. You're going to be ruling against the science. And the judge knows that there's a lot of weight on this decision. So I doubt he wants to be looking like somebody who doesn't understand the science or to have his ruling overturned, overturned later by an appellate court because they EPA somehow proves that he didn't get the science. And so he made the wrong, wrong ruling. So in my view, he's taking he's, he's taking his time to really understand this. And today he definitely seemed like he was leaning in favor of water fluoridation being a poison. So that was promising to say the least. Now I wanna to go to this next section here where Michael Conant mentioned what he called health protective assumption. So Michael Conant, the lead attorney with the Fluoride Action Network, he made the case that the EPA has ignored health protective assumption. 
And he told the judge that the EPA favors a non-health protective assumption in this case, choosing to assume that fluoride is safe instead of erring on the side of caution. So at this point, it was interesting because the judge asked Michael Conant when he was saying health protective assumption, he was kind of saying it like it was a a specific term or a, or a statute or a regulation or something. So the judge asked like, okay, so is health protective assumption, is this a statutory or a regular regulatory mandate, or is this just your interpretation of how the EPA works? And Michael Conant said, well, it is my interpretation, but it's also based on the statements by the EPA's own expert witness, Dr. Stanley Barone. And uh, he showed, he pulled up some statements from Barone's deposition where Dr. Barone specifically said that the EPA uses a health protective assumption. And Barone said this assumption was, quote, part of our agency guidance. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And maybe it's not always intriguing or like fascinating to everybody. You'd rather be watching like a sports game or some sort of, you know, a fight. And you're like, oh, boom, back and forth. But I feel like that's what it's like when you're in court. And especially if you're really following along and you're really understanding you kind of see like, oh, they tried to come in with this angle and the judge just knocked it down or Michael comes in and just drops some some big truth bomb. and Or like, for example, last week, if you watched my reporting last week on week two, uh, Dr. Stanley Barone, who we just mentioned, when he was asked about the oversaturation of kidneys in pregnant mothers, he just basically froze for five to seven seconds, kind of thinking of what he was going to say. And then tried to say, oh, my opinion doesn't matter, even though I'm the EPA's expert witness, risk assessor, scientist. My opinion is not germane to this <laughs> discussion. So, yeah, I find it intriguing and I'm doing my best to try to highlight the, the key points for you guys. Because trust me, there's so much more. Whenever I'm trying to whittle down these articles to make it just the key details for those of you who are busy, it's difficult sometimes to choose because I see a lot of things that I think are interesting. But I know you guys just want the finer points to know what's going on. So let's continue. At one point, the EPA, Brandon Adkins, was saying that foreign studies are not relevant to the United States water fluoridation situation. He told Judge Chin that some of the studies presented in the lawsuit are not relevant because they're based on data from populations outside of the United States. He emphasized that the studies came from Iran, India, and Pakistan, and thus there will be variables in the data that he claimed would make it inapplicable to the lawsuit. And Judge Chen responded by noting that the U.S. National Toxicology Program, that's very much been at the center of this whole case, considered these studies and chose not to rule them out from their systematic review, despite them being from foreign nations. And Judge Chen asked, quote, you're not asking the court to ignore the low risk of bias studies the NTP selected, are you? And the EPA said, no, that's not our intention. We're just trying to diminish their value and make you doubt them. But no, don't throw them out the window. And uh, one of the final orders of business that was discussed today was related to this program, this pilot program called Cameras in the Courtroom, where apparently there are some federal courts that are allowing cameras literally in the courtroom or allowing recordings of the court proceedings. Like, for example, when I was in San Francisco, I was in there. There was no physical cameras allowed, but the court was doing a Zoom recording. But the, none of those recordings have been posted yet. So Michael Connett was uh, mentioning to the judge at the end that they would like, in the interest of public, you know, public awareness, they would like for... Uh, the recordings to be released on the website. And so Judge Chin encouraged him to, uh, you know, for both parties to talk about it and then to file a motion and the judge said he would rule on it. So it is very, there's still the potential, I didn't think this was gonna happen, but there's still the potential that we will see the video from the courtroom 
um, over the coming days. So I encourage you guys to stay tuned wherever you're following me if you want to you know, actually get more on this reporting because if those videos are released, I will be going through and editing them because I have notes from every single day in court. And there's a few different key points, including, including Dr. Stanley Barone's pause heard around the world, his frozen when he's asked about saturation of kidneys in pregnant mothers. I want to get that on you know out there onto the internet, uh, social media space, and you guys help it go viral. And uh, the other thing we'll, we'll mention here now, what comes next? What is next now that we've reached this end? So Judge Chen, as I mentioned earlier, is going to spend the coming weeks reviewing the expert testimony and the various studies that have been submitted as evidence before he makes a ruling. A ruling by the judge could occur within a week, but it could take as long as a month or two. If the ruling is in favor of the plaintiffs, the EPA would have the opportunity to appeal. However, as Fluoride Action Network recently noted, the appeal would not, quote, require the relitigation of the entire scientific case. So Hopefully, we wouldn't have to do this whole thing again. But as I ended here, whichever way Judge Chin rules, the fluoride lawsuit has already been a historic and precedent setting. This is the first time, for example, that a citizen's petition under Tosca has made it to a federal court. This is also the first time the dangers caused by water fluoridation have been presented in a federal court by expert scientists. In addition, because of this lawsuit and the hard work of the Fluoride Action Network and the plaintiffs and the mothers and everybody who's been donating and fighting this for going on eight years, the lawsuit has helped uncover emails which highlight how the U.S. government has sought to cover up the NTP study that found that fluoride exposure is linked to lower IQ in children. That's what I've been reporting on for the last couple of years, and most people had no idea. We also learned that Harvard University and the World Health Organization have been infiltrated by the fluoride lobby, as told to me by expert witness Dr. Philippe Grangi. So is it any wonder that there has been absolutely zero corporate media coverage of this historic lawsuit? Can you guys wonder why? Can you just consider why? This this article I just read to you, you can find at The Last American Vagabond. Uh, the fluoride lawsuit comes to an end. Everybody who's watching everywhere else but Instagram, you'll be able to check the show notes. Um, but if you're on Instagram, you got to go to my websites if you want to see these reports, or maybe I'll share them in my story later. So that's where things are at. And before we go to this fact check, what I'm excited about, I also want to mention that we did do crowdfunding. My we, we attempted to raise $6,000. We raised about $4,500 while I was out there. And even today, people are donating. 40 minutes ago, somebody donated 50 bucks. And eight hours ago, 49 bucks. And then today, somebody donated $1,300. Shout out to Kim and Jeff. I met them in San Francisco. I didn't get much time to hang out with them. But they donated $1,300 to bring us to that 6000 goal. And then with the rest of you guys, these recent donors, we raised $6,099. So just and I've already shared this on my social media, but for transparency, this trip cost about $3,866 with hotels, flights, um, me eating while I was there. You know, I still have to eat. And uh, so thank you. you. Everybody who donated, you helped pay for my flight, pay for my hotels and my food so I didn't have to pay out of cost. And the extra bit of money that is left over, which is not much, is going to help pay me for my 42 hours that I spent in the courtroom, plus another dozen hours doing interviews and editing the interviews and doing all these other interviews. So I'm just very grateful, um, very grateful to everybody who's donated. I just want to make that clear. So if you did donate, we appreciate you. This is what's possible when you donate to the Conscious Resistance or the Last American Vagabond. Uh, and for anybody who's interested in supporting me on more of a monthly basis, you can go to theconsciousresistance.com slash invest, guys, because I am truly an independent journalist. I get paid for my articles for The Last American Vagabond. I write weekly articles. But everything else I do that you see me doing, videos, traveling, speeches, etc., these are just because I care. And so if you want to support me, sign up on Buy Me a Coffee once a, you know, for a monthly support or a single-time donation. 
And you can do the same thing on Substack. You can also mail support if you want cash, checks, whatever, to my PO box here. And of course, I accept crypto. So I just wanted to mention that. Now let's look at this fact check before we wrap up and I go get some dinner. Um, Factcheck.org. Thank you, Brenda, for sending this to me because, wow, I'm going to have fun with this. I, I don't think I'll even fully be able to get into this. It's pretty, pretty long here, but this will definitely deserve a response. But let's just go ahead and get into the basics here. The mineral fluoride at the right dose has been shown to reduce the risk of tooth decay. So they're already lying like the very first sentence because we literally had a study published this week, the Lotus study in the UK that showed that there's negligible impacts and reduction of tooth decay. But okay, we'll keep going. Based on studies demonstrating this in children drinking naturally fluoride, naturally fluoride containing water, that doesn't even make much sense, but okay. Individuals in the cities in the U.S. began to add fluoride to tap water beginning in 1945. Again, this is just the Disney version of the story. We're already off to just like straight up propaganda, which is what we know most fact checks are. The CDC and multiple expert groups endorsed water fluoridation as a way to reduce tooth decay, including the ADA, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and the American Academy of Pediatrics. However, a February 4th post from independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on X made a sweeping claim about fluoride's effect on the nervous system. He said, quote, as president, I'm going to order the CDC to take every necessary step to remove neurotoxic fluoride from American drinking water. And let's see, they say Kennedy, who has a history of advocating against water fluoridation, accompanied his claim about fluoride's neurotoxicity um, with a link to a Law 360 article about testimony in a trial that has been unfolding in San Francisco. So this is like the first even, this is like the closest you get to mainstream even mentioning the trial. And what she's referring to or he or they, whoever is referring is this Law 360 article. And Law 360 is a very niche website. It's not what I would consider mainstream. It's about law, legal cases and stuff like that. And if I remember correctly, it's even probably behind a paywall. So it's not like this is being seen by a lot of people. The case was brought against the EPA. So they, you know, they give a little bit of awareness to the case, which is important. It says other popular social posts, let's see who they've linked here, have also referenced the trial claiming that multiple studies confirm fluoride is a neurotoxin that violates the Toxic Substance Control Act and reduces IQ in kids. Um, I don't know. It looks like all the records they tried to share, they're not showing up on my end. If you guys got a link to one of these alleged uh, tweets, then you let me know, but they're not showing up for me. But I would love to see who else they're referencing. Maybe they're referencing one of my tweets because I've been along with Brenda and Floyd Action Network. We've been the main people talking about this. But based on the data, water fluoridation and neurotoxicity are less clear cut than social media posts by Kennedy and others make it out to be. Some studies, many of them done in areas of the world with naturally high levels of fluoride in their water supply, well above the optimally recommended level. You see how they kind of add this giant caveat? Some studies, er, insert this sort of before you start thinking fluoride's bad remember these studies are done in the areas of the world with naturally high levels of fluoride in their water supply that's not necessarily true well above the optimally recommended level that's also not true because there's studies that as this lawsuit has shown that have uh, shown harm even at the currently allowable levels they suggest a possible association uh, between greater levels of fluoride exposure between uh, during pregnancy and early childhood. But many scientific experts have said the evidence for this association is weak. EPA has argued there isn't strong or consistent evidence for fluoridation in line with the general sentiment. Now, of course, they're arguing that. They're in the middle of a freaking lawsuit trying to not get their pantsuit off and trying to not be bankrupt after the world wakes up to the fact that uh, 
you know, that fluoride is causing people harm. Now, this is this is the problem. Now, let's get this gets a little bit more to the meat of the situation here. That the U.S. National Toxicology Program, the NTP report that I've been telling you guys about for the last couple of years now, the report that we know was uh, blocked by elements of the U.S. government, the CDC's Oral Health Division, Assistant Health Secretary Rachel Levine. They have not allowed this study to come out. It's only available in its draft form from May 2022 and September 2022. It was discussed in this trial, but it was you know made clear this is not the final testimony of the CDC. This is not the final recommendation of the CDC. And what that what that allows is fact checks like this. So then, since they've already made it clear this NTP report is a draft report, it's not the final conclusion that nobody is supposed to draw any conclusions from that. So we're just supposed to ignore the fact that this U.S. government document that was supposed to be published in May 2022 says that there's an association between fluoride exposure and lower IQ in children. But because it's only the draft version, we're not supposed to really give it any weight. Of course, and I'm curious, if this fact check mentions the emails that show behind the scenes, there was all this funny business trying to keep the report from coming out in the first place. That's, you know, that's what makes these things lying by omission. They don't give you the full facts, but let's see, maybe they do, maybe I'm wrong. So right here, they're saying that the NTP's report wasn't meant to evaluate water fluoridation. A final version of the report has not been published. The NTP has declared the data supports a consistent inverse association between fluoride exposure and children's IQ. Quoting from an outdated version of a meta-analysis document associated with the report and leaving out some context, he says, uh, but the NTP report was not meant to establish whether water fluoridation at typical level was safe and looked at water fluoride, fluoride exposure from any source at any level. Scientists who reviewed the draft for the NTP expressed concerns that the sentence Kennedy quoted did not make this clear. Uh, so right here, they get a spokesperson from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, the NIEHS, which houses the NTP administratively to tell them the NTP reports are, quote, used by other federal agencies as a starting point for further study to determine if there's a risk to humans and at what exposure level. The fluoride report is not a risk assessment and therefore does not determine the safety of fluoride. So it's like they're already looking for a way out. Kennedy claimed in the post this was hidden from the public. The NIEHS spokesperson told us that the report is still being revised and that the publication was delayed by the NTP uh, director, Richard Wojcik who tasked a working group, the BSC working group, with reviewing many comments and criticisms of the document. And as they say here, multiple groups of experts from both within and outside the government reviewed various drafts of the report saying they had concerns. But of course, they are leaving out the context. We should note that this multiple groups of experts from within and outside has never happened to any other NTP monograph before. This, was, this is not a normal procedure. The way that this particular piece of of, uh, of science and this study has been treated is unlike anything else we've seen with the EPA. So for the fact checkers here to just say, okay, it's been reviewed by multiple groups of experts from within and outside of government who have problems with it, it doesn't give you the full story. But it sure does look nice. And I guarantee you now this fact check, guys, as we're starting to get the word out all over the place about fluoride. And just today I was on Redacted, which has got 2 million followers on YouTube and hundreds of thousands on Rumble. And I was on Kim Iverson. She's got 500,000 followers. The word is getting out and they can't stop this. But this is why they are putting these fact checks out there, because they want your friends who still aren't ready to accept this to be able to pull up something and say, hey, look, crazy friend. Look, factcheck.org says everything's OK. So. Uh, yeah, that's basically what they're trying to do here. And they're saying evidence on fluoride and IQ is limited. The stakes of ending water fluoridation. In the case against the EPA, the lawyers are not allowed to discuss the benefits of water fluoridation. 
But amid calls to halt fluoridation, expert told us that a discussion of the potential impacts is warranted. And so they're going to go into some more propaganda. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to write it. I'm, I think I'm probably going to have to do an article just about this, dissecting the bullshit. That'll probably be my article for next week. So stay tuned. Thank you for sending that to me, Brenda. Again, I got to go to lunch or dinner, whatever it is. It's time for me to eat. <laughs> Thank you guys for supporting. Again, I want to remind you, if you follow me on social media, you really want to follow me through my website, theconsciousresistance.com. Sign up for my email list because if you follow me on Instagram, Twitter, even Telegram or Facebook, you're only getting part, part of my content. I do videos. I do articles. I do voicemails. Um, I do documentaries. I do all kinds of stuff, and you're not going to get it all unless you signed up to my email list at theconsciousresistance.com. Visit our category for water fluoridation. See all the reports I've released over the years at thelastamericanvagabond.com. You can see my latest article. You can see all the articles I've written over the last four years about this lawsuit. If you want to donate, throw any last-minute stuff into our gives, uh, send go. Feel free. That money is coming to me. You can also just donate directly to me at theconsciousresistance.com slash invest because the platform will take some of the, the fees out of it if you donate through the crowdfunding. And once again, thanks to Brenda for sending me this. I look forward to dissecting it and breaking it apart. So that's going to do it for today, guys. I appreciate all of your time. Thank you so much for supporting me. I'm doing the best I can. I'm just one person out here. It's me and a few people that help me out in different ways, but we're a small grassroots team. I've been doing this for 14 years, 10 years of full time, and I'm still not sustainable yet. But I'm hoping with your support and those of you who see the kind of work that I'm willing to do and see my commitment to these issues and the efforts that I'm willing to put in and the lengths that I'm willing to go to confront liars and politicians and crooks and to report in a factual way that doesn't give you spin, that doesn't give you fear and just sticks to what we know, then I encourage you, I invite you, I humbly request that you invest in me and my journalism so I can continue to produce more content like this. And we can continue to spread information, most importantly, to wake up people so that mothers and children are not affected and impacted by this poison any longer. So thank you guys. And thank you to everybody who keeps up this fight. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace. Since 2012, the Conscious Resistance Network has been an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. We work to create a world where corporate and state power do not rule over the lives of free human beings. Our motto is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. Visit theconsciousresistance.com to find our articles, documentaries, interviews, podcasts, books, and more. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free.